Hello and welcome to Who Cares? And Who Cares? We do. I'm here with the amazing Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with the extraordinary Mori Boise Balan. Hello, Moz. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a big birthday this week. So um, Valentine's Day, everybody, next year, set your alarm, Mori's birthday. Oh, um, I had a great day. Happy birthday. But we're not here to talk about me, are we? Or we're not here to talk about you as the new minister for the ageing, <laughs> which will happen very soon. The election's coming. I've got you lined up, Daniela, and the T-shirts are being printed. Um, Lou. Lou yep. certainly got some opinions. How yep. did you sit with Lou's discussion? I, I'm really keen to dig into this one. Let's go. I, I was surprised. I think um, mm. I, when I listened to it, I wasn't. Uh, I was surprised that came from a CEO in aged care. Definitely. You know, it's interesting because we spoke about Mike Baird a few weeks ago, and we were critical about some state motherhood statements, and not much that we thought in the way of practical on the floor doings, but I think there was a number of things that Lou talked about which really struck me, mm. and he talked about being distanced from the industry that he called disjointed, and he talked about not having cook, um, cookie-cutter programs. He loved, he wanted his programs integrated, and he talked about taking responsibility and doing it because it wasn't going to happen. What did you make of that? Well, he, he sounded like um, a really good businessman to me. And again, mm -hmm. it was another business conversation, but it wasn't just that. Like, I mean, I re was really taken with the with the results that he was talking about. So whatever they're doing in terms of keeping people safe is working. That's really indisputable. I, I do like what you just said, that they had an attitude um, that looked at what the government can provide, absolutely, what are they going to give and what they actually need to keep people safe. Mm. And then um, I think he summed it up when he said that the organisation had to put their hand in their pocket and they spent over a million on, on rapid antigen tests really early on. And he said because that issue related to people's lives. I mean, he was saying it's life and death and that kind of brings to light Two things, I think, Moz, that he had a really astute um, understanding of the risk to business in terms of negligence. And as Lou said, no one makes that many mistakes and still keeps their jobs. But mm. he was kind of wearing a moral and a business hat. He, he said it would be irresponsible and negligent not to act to keep people safe and just waiting for government. And he said if they were if it wasn't about life and death and and keeping people alive that he would have waited for government. So that really speaks to the moral obligation of business entities and there absolutely are ethical businesses and organizations that don't wait for government. I think I mean what's happening in the USA and a lot of businesses around the world are acting around climate change yes. despite what um what the government in their country is doing. So I think he, yeah, I probably got, went down a, a few rabbit holes there, but I think he was wearing the business hat, which, you know, sounded like a really good business risk thinking, but also that moral hat. Cause he even said things like, you know, I don't know how certain people can sort of look in the mirror or go home and spend time with their families. So he, he wasn't pulling any punches, was he? No, and and uh, I, I was torn at times, you know, like like you veering. To, this is a business talk, where, you know. What's what's he covering? And then, but when he spoke about looking in the mirror, yeah, yeah, that yeah. 
that really that really hit me because we we all think that you know when we talk about vulnerable people you know in our care or mm-hmm. in, uh, when we provide some service or or whatever that might be and actually putting it in that context as a ceo and accountability this is what really i liked i, I mean he's very passionate yeah and so i was trying to you know listen to that passion again is this an act or, or not and i i, I really I agree with you. I don't think it's an act. I think he's I very passionate, him. but he's a businessman. But yeah, but he didn't pretend not to be. And he was, but he's responsible. And mm. and what I like is what I did like is he talked about putting. You know, you have to put your your, your hands in your own pocket mm-hmm. and not waiting for government because they act too slow. And I think I think his example here. He mm. talked about rapid antigen tests and not waiting for them to be supplied. And then he talked about them going to services that already had COVID. So mm. what about keeping COVID out? And that's yeah, another yeah. point that I think is really important if we look at the pure risk of COVID to residential age adult to care and to the disability sector. He said that those tests were only being given out to organisations that had an outbreak and that was like closing the stable door after the horse had bolted, which of course it is. So that's when his that's when um, his organization they did put their hand in their pocket and spent, you know, one point two or three million dollars in in last year, in November last year, getting those tests. And that I mean that's really telling. What did you take away mm. from his views on board at a board level because that's something I really was really interested what he had to say about boards. Yeah, me too. He said that that's where that was one of their success factors, I think he said, that innovation tends to get clogged up at the board level. Um, and there's there's lots of people that would like to do what his organisation are doing but that they don't get support at that board level. And then he kind of spoke about there being lots of academics on boards and so forth. But in that area, I would just, just from personal experience, I would somewhat disagree with Lou. I wouldn't disagree, but I would, I would say, um, it's also about the, the quality of the operational execs who are not proactive like Lou is. We've been talking about innovation in this industry, Moz, for so many years. Where is it? Where are the people who think laterally like Lou? Remember, that there's like 65% of residential aged care beds are not for profit, which means that 65% of beds are governed by volunteer boards. And I, I really believe that a good business case will generally get through at the board level. Boards don't push against them. Where are these innovative ideas and business cases? I think at the heart of it, the industry is, um, is really running under the watch and at the hand of these operational execs. So we're asking where are these these people? Where do, where do they come from and how? I mean, because, you know, you're, you're one of these people that we're speaking about and yet you've left the industry to be an advocate. So how do we, how do we keep people like you in the roles and then where do we find the advocates? I mean, that's for me, that's the, uh, the big question too. That's such a brilliant question, um, Maury, on so many levels because if we think about what we learnt in disability, and I'm not saying disability is perfect, but it's certainly mm. um, 
far ahead of where aged care is at the moment. Much further, agreed. And if we think about how it, it shifted from that, you know, these terrible institutions that it was really normal for, for when young baby, when babies were born with certain disabilities that nurses just said, nope, the best thing for them is to put them in that, in, into an institution. Like that was mm. so normal. It, and it, it was just how things happened and no one questioned it. And, and what happened in disability was that there was a lot of people with disability who became real activists for themselves and they became more aware of their rights. And for really, really vulnerable people, so for people living in those institutions, for people with intellectual disabilities, a lot of that came back to the people who, like you, the people like me, who became advocates because they'd witnessed injustice. So it wasn't sort of a charity thing. It was like a political sense of this is wrong. And people actually working in the disability industry who said, we can't do this anymore. We can't do this to people. And I, I think that is the next question, Moz. I, I think it's how do we, um, how do we get these fantastic people working in aged care? How do we create a movement? especially for very, very vulnerable people who can't join in in co-design and, um, and surveys and, and they can't protest against the injustice that's happening to them. Um, mm. how, how can we get people like you, me, and so many other people I know working in the industry at all levels of the industry, how can we band together and say, we, old age is in a sickness, we can't boss these people around, they're, they're human beings, they're persons. One thing that I think anyone listening to will, especially if they're in the industry, especially CEOs and boards, they're going to hear Lou saying there's plenty of money in the system, that other aged care organisations are getting the same funding they are and that his organisation is making money and innovating and keeping people safe. I think that anyone out there who hears Lou's interview, that there's actually plenty of money in the system um, are going to be are going to be really unhappy, but he's right. There is lots of money in the system because um, there has to be because despite the fact that everyone's saying there's so many losses, ACAR is oversubscribed by about four to one. So that means Moz, that for every bed license available, there were four people wanting it. People are falling over themselves. And in my um, witness statement for the Royal Commission, I pointed this out. Uh, people are falling over themselves to get these bed licenses to get into aged care or to grow their aged care business. So mm. for whatever reason, people are trying to get into this. To, and so they obviously believe that there's money to make, to be made. But, but it's not quite the pure pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of business that Lou <laughs> presented it as because definitely I don't think anyone would disagree that government has made it as easy as possible for providers to be financially successful. And to be fair, the aged care business has created many, many millionaires in this country. Well, it's not a mm. really free enterprise. The government is providing 70 to 80% of the funding for residential aged care and they give away those licences which businesses put on their balance sheet for up to, I'm not joking, not for up to 200000 a bed licence. So if they get awarded in one round 10, 10 bed licences, that equates to $2 million on your balance sheet that then you can, you can then borrow against 
in the wow. future, those bed licenses won't won't have that accounting value because that's all changing. They're getting rid of ACAR, getting rid of the idea that you have to apply for bed licenses. But that's just it's not exactly just a start from scratch business. Then there's the bonds, which the government originally the thought would. Um, the government brought all that in. I'm, look, I'm not sure, but I think it was around the Howard time that yeah, so that Howard government that, didn't yeah. have the burden of setting up, you know, mm-hmm. new aged care infrastructure and innovation. And I've got to say, how did mu- that go? Well, much of that money is sitting in <laughs> banks and earning interest. Uh-huh. You know, that's the perverse outcome of that, and it isn't being used for the intended purpose that it was given to industry for. And I've I think Lou is obviously kind of highlighting those type of things, saying that those funds are being used by his organisation um, for innovation and to keep staffing levels at mm. what he believes um, As opposed is, is to a safe level. Growth. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're not a huge organisation. No, I mean, no, but I mean, but yeah. mo- most – you know, we know that often it's used as, as for capital growth and, yeah. and those bonds, which – I believe and I understand the RAD is paid back without interest. This is all money that people have. There's rules around Mm. how they can spend it. But at the end of the day, if you look at it from that perspective um, and from – look, if you just look at the facts, people like Lou say there's money in it. They're spending money, innovating, and they're still making money. I guess guess the question is how much is enough? So taking away messages from – the discussion with Lou and Ash's. I, I wondered where whether Ash was surprised at um, at Lou's responses because I certainly wasn't expecting it. I wasn't either. I would really like to meet Lou because I'd <laughs> like to see him speak. I, I really, I really loved his passion. I really loved what he said. I loved the accountability, but I too heard a business model there. But, you know, I, I guess I'm really curious about Lou. I'm more curious about Lou now <laughs> after we've had this discussion than I was when I listened. Lou, ring us. Lou, we want to talk to you. We want to meet you. We want to grill you. We want a glass of wine and we want to see you face to face. Absolutely. Come, come and have a chat with us, Lou. We'd love, we'd love <laughs> to, to speak to you. I want to know more about him. <laughs> hey, um, so cool to chat with you once again. Fantastic Minister. talking to you. I, re- <laughs> I really look forward to it, Maureen. I love that we don't talk beforehand and I'm always so curious about your take on things and, and it's always, yeah, I'm loving it. So thank you. And you have a very deep insight into the workings of the industry and that, and that I really love hearing that angle. So, all right. Well, I guess we care. We do care, Mines. <laughs> Let's hope everyone else does. <laughs> Uru. See you next week. <laughs>